The Attorney General, Suella Braverman, has come under fire for calling a fellow female MP emotional after she questions her support for the government's bid to break international law. The term, often considered a misogynistic trope in an exchange, drew sharp criticism from the Shadow Justice Secretary and several in the legal professional. This is from the UK's newspaper, The Guardian, and referring to the UK Parliament. Interestingly, it says also that Reeves put it to Braverman that she knew full well the role of government law officers was to uphold the rule of law without fear or favour. Braverman hit back immediately, telling Reeves, I prefer to take a less emotional approach than the honourable lady. According to the article, it has echoes of the 20. 11 scandal when former Prime Minister David Cameron sparked fury when he told Labour MP Angela Eagle to calm down, dear. You can understand why some people confuse this as a misogynistic trope, that calling women emotional is also a put down for women, especially in the forum of political power. And yet when women start calling women emotional, it kind of underscores the ineffectiveness of calling somebody emotional as a put-down for women. It's more about a put-down for emotion. And what I'd like to do in this podcast is examine just what emotion does for us in business and decision-making, and also whether or not it is to be seen in the pejorative. Is being emotional a negative thing? When I grew up, The only time that you heard people being emotional was when an MP was stopped by a traffic officer and was described as being tired and emotional. What that really was a euphemism for was drunk. Rather than charge the MP for drink driving, they passed it off as tired and emotional. The reality is is that emotion has got a bad rap in business and society for many years. Often we see being emotional as being negative. He was being too emotional. He was being she was being emotional. When we think of it, we think of people crying and sobbing and pulling at our heartstrings as if it's some sort of Shakespearean drama. But the reality is that emotion is probably much more important and fundamental to decision-making than we think. Some time ago, I was running a storytelling workshop. I was talking about stories and emotion. And stories are emotion-packaged. After the presentation of the startups, I was talking to each of the startup founders individually, and I was talking to them about packaging their data as stories to make it more emotional and to make it more relevant to the audience. Yes, but I don't want to tell a story, said one of my delegates. Let's call him Alvin. I want to tell the truth. But if you don't tell a story, I replied, I won't know what your truth is. Virginia Woolf, the author, once wrote, if you do not tell the truth about yourself, you cannot tell it about other people. Our truth is the stories we tell. That's how we see the world. There is no such thing as objective truth. It's all about which stories are accepted and believed. They become truth. And obviously these can change over time 
Our views of people and behavior can change according to the stories that we tell about them. If you want more information about narrative frames, then listen to my podcast episode about maps. So it applies to maps as it applies to startups pitching, as it applies to politicians communicating. What we tend to see wrongly is emotion and story as somehow a fabrication. We want logic. We're rational human beings. Rationalists believe we judge outcomes and make decisions based on objective truths. Story is no more than fluff, fantasy or lies. And therefore, if a woman in parliament is being emotional, the assumption is, the implication is, that somehow she's using emotion as opposed to fact. Somehow she's getting caught up in feeling as opposed to reality. We don't want those kind of people making decisions on our behalf. We want people who can make level-headed decisions. They make logical decisions. They make rational decisions. And if you look at popular culture, this idea of naive realism, the rationalist bias, is reinforced in popular narratives. Take, for example, the sci-fi series Star Trek. Now, Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek series is its as old as time itself, I believe, 40 years as old as it was before Star Wars. But it was the journey of mankind into the beyond and star trek had for its crew assembled different races from the galaxy and you had a human leader who was william shatner james kirk and his right hand man was this sort of pointy-eared alien from the planet vulcan called spock played by leonard Nimoy. And it's interesting the contrast of characters that you had James Kirk, who was emotional and impulsive and often got into trouble. And Spock was calm and stoic and devoid of all emotion. In fact, he had this famous catchphrase, which was, that's not logical, Captain but said in a, a lot less emotional way. And Spock became idolized in many ways because he, the fans saw him as somehow this, this lionized version of what human beings could be, this sort of level-headed, rational human being that made good decisions. Whereas James Kirk tended to be a little bit wild and a bit of a loose cannon Yet, Spock can make these great judgments in the line of fire. And you think about that, bringing it back to the parliament, just how much people lionize Spock's. Yes, they make good decisions for us, as opposed to the James Kirk figures who may be a little bit fiery and get into trouble. But that's a, a myth that somehow human beings are logical. And if you really want to know how we behave, look at how our brains behave 
on emotion and logic. And it's very hard to study emotion and logic in a normal brain because there is no pathway in the brain that says that's emotion and that's logic. There are areas in the brain that control emotion, but it's very difficult. The brain doesn't act in a very centralized way. It's very decentralized in its processes. As I talk about in other podcasts, the brain isn't like a computer. The brain isn't zeros and ones and Boolean logic. The brain is very much maybes and very distributed. In fact, the brain itself isn't a central, centralized organism, but a system throughout the body. But that's another subject. Let's go back to emotion and logic. It's very hard to study how it impacts us. So we're, we're now subjected to these narratives, these popular cultural narratives about emotion and logic and that we are, we should aspire to be logical and not driven by emotion. And yet the data points the other way. Psychologist Antonio Damasio, who was a neuro psychologist, i.e. studying the brain, studied patients who had damage to the emotional cortex, either caused by disease or trauma. And if you have damage to the emotional cortex, it means that your emotions don't function properly. You don't express enough emotion, or you don't connect with the right emotion, or you have no emotion. Now, if you were to take somebody with emotional trauma or sorry, damage to the emotional cortex, you would probably hypothesize that they were quite Spock-like. They would be quite cold and boring, maybe good at chess, but make calculated decisions. It's almost a good thing, right? They would be fair. Uh, maybe they would be uninspiring as speakers, but they would make, certainly in the the court of law and in law making in the executive function of parliament you probably would have thought they would be very good and they wouldn't have this sort of wild fomenting emotional undercurrent that seems to derail everything and when Damasio studied these patients that's what he hypothesized but what he found was very different that in fact, those patients weren't like that. They weren't cold and calculating. They weren't good judges of data and decisions made about daily scenarios. In fact, what they couldn't do was make any decisions. Simple decisions about daily life became impossible. With emotional cortex damage, they couldn't decide between tea and coffee. They couldn't decide between getting the train or bus home and what to buy their wife for Christmas. They couldn't make any decisions. As Damasio writes, they performed well on any test measuring their intelligence and critical thinking abilities. And yet outside the lab, they made one bad decision after another or found themselves intellectually paralyzed and unable to make a decision at all. Which means that while they can take tests and maybe score high on IQ, 
when faced with decision-making, they are highly ineffective. When we look at emotion and logic, we have to think of it as an iceberg. And there is a visualization of this in the Human Communication Playbook, that the top 10% above water is logic. And yet 90% below water, what we don't see is emotion. And marketing and advertising has known this for many years, that people don't, don't buy using logic. People buy on emotion and justify with logic. When you ask somebody why they buy, they'll tell you why they buy, but it's not why they buy. They'll tell you the logical reason why they buy, because it was on offer or it was a nice shape or it looked good. But the reason why they buy is below water and they don't want to reveal it to you for the same reason, for the same reason that Suella Braverman criticized a fellow female MP because people don't want to appear emotional because emotional is some way a shorthand for being weak. And yet, going back to Star Trek, emotion is the base by which we make decisions. 90% of our decisions are rooted in our emotional core. And if you think about it, in Star Trek, James Kirk was the captain, not the expert. The captain isn't the expert. That's the point. Today, leadership isn't about being the expert. Leadership is about making decisions. Leadership is about knowing an expert. If I need somebody to analyze the data, I have a data scientist. But the data scientist isn't making the decisions for the business. That's me as the leader. And that's an emotional decision. I feel that what will emerge in this decade is a growing better understanding of emotion, not just in business, but emotion in society and the role it has to play. That emotion isn't to be seen in the pejorative or a sign of weakness and certainly not to be considered in any misogynistic way. Emotion should be seen to be a sign of strength. Emotion and our feelings and our connecting with feelings is not only key to being able to understand, but also being able to communicate. If you think of the two functions of business today, innovation and communication, Innovation is leaning into the pain, empathizing with the problem. And communication is communicating that in stories, in ways that connect with people, in familiar narratives. This is emotion. And as much as it's been seen as a weakness, we also have to accept that that was the byproduct of an industrial model where the weakest part in the factory was the human being. When I was a kid, as a student, I worked in a factory selling yogurts, packing yogurts. And I packed thousands of these yogurts in these cartons every day. And the, the sole 
gimmick of these yogurts was that the stand of the yogurt pot was shaped like feet. They were called funny feet. And I packed those day in, day out throughout my summers to earn pocket money. 16 years old, working in a factory. And I remember one evening after the factory line had closed, I stayed behind and I started reorganizing the cartons. And I worked out that if we had done it according to a better process, then we could actually pack these a lot faster. And I did it on my own time. I didn't even ask to get paid for the overtime, even though I was paid by the hour. I just wanted to play around with it and see if I could improve it. And when my foreman, the linesman, found out what I did yet the day before, even though I'd put it all back together, nothing had changed. I just moved stuff around, experimented and put it all back. But he called me out, called him to, to his little office, his little porter cabin and said, um, you're not paid to make things better. And summarily fired me on the spot on my 16th birthday. And I took the bus home. And in those days, when they fired you, they didn't even pay you. They were crooks. So he not only fired me, I didn't get my money. I won't name the company, but karma will out. So that's the industrial model where the weakest link in the chain are the human beings because they're emotional. What we need are machines. But we have reached peak efficiency and therefore not only do we need to reskill the people within our organization with emotional strength and intelligence, we also need to create an environment free of the fear of expressing emotion where people can be authentic, can be human, can express their feelings for not fear of repercussion or fear of looking weak in front of their fellow colleagues. And we also must retrain at upstream in education where we should not place emphasis on logical skills that machines can do better. Why train people to remember facts about kings and queens and history? What we should be training them are the stories of those people and learning from the stories such that we don't repeat the mistakes of history. That's what we should do. Everything else machines can learn. And so when I hear an MP criticizing a fellow for being emotional, I also see an echo of the past and our industrial era, which is born of fear. Fear in that we are fearful of being human. And yet it will take leaders to stand up and change that. I only have one tattoo on my body, on my arm, and it's from the book Into the Wild by John Krakauer. And it's also lifted from another story inside the book, Bear Meat by Primo Levi. And it says, and I also know how important it is in life, not necessarily to be strong, but to feel strong, to measure yourself at least once, to find yourself at least once in the most ancient of human conditions. 
We've reached peak efficiency, and this is the age of authenticity where we should be free to express emotions. And the more we break down the walls to express our emotions, the more we allow emotions in, the more we understand customers, the more we empathize with the problem and are able to innovate around those problems. It's not a one-way street, it's a two-way process. If we want to innovate better, we have to first express our emotions better. Nobody is going to tell you how they feel unless you make the first move. That's how it is. What we need to do is not worry about logic. We should dare to be vulnerable. Those are the skills, those are the environments that we need to be more human in the 2020s. 